Hey listeners, I'm working on a mailbag episode where I answer your questions. So if you have anything you'd like to ask me, send me an email to sam at kitchentablemagic.org. I'll read all of your questions on air in a future episode. Thanks. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic insiders. There's something for everyone. Discussion about legacy, commander, preview cards from the new set, and more. Just go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy on all of your favorite formats. That's hipstersofthecoast.com. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Rivals of Ixalan previews are going on now. Who will find the city of Orozca first? Will Jace ever get his memory back? Is Blood Sun better than Blood Moon? Pre-order your Rivals of Ixalan sealed product and singles now at cardkingdom.com KTM. Rivals of Ixalan ships January 19th. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. Hey there, could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Donald Smith, 2017 World Competitor, Platinum Pro, and you've probably seen me at the top 8 of Pro Tour Aether Vault and part of Team Lingering Souls. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to Platinum Pro Donald Smith Jr. Donald started playing when Theros was released. In just a little over four years, Donald grinded his way to become a Platinum Pro and got himself an invite to the Magic World Championships 2017. After playing a lot of aggro decks, Donald qualified for the Pro Tour. Donald continued playtesting and dedicated himself to stay on the Pro Tour. I caught up with Donald in the summer of 2017. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Donald Smith Jr. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the very platinum Donald Smith. Donald, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm in the middle of a road trip, so just enjoying my time before Worlds prep. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw on Twitter that you were like traveling through a whole bunch of different states. Yeah, I went from uh, start in Louisiana, traveled through Texas, Denver, Colorado, and then made a trip to Salt Lake City, which like brought me through Wyoming. Wow, that's a lot of driving, dude. Yeah, it's a, it's not too bad because it, it's actually like really cool. I didn't even realize it till uh, pretty soon before the trip. But I actually had a friend in Dallas, Denver, and in Salt Lake that I all met through Magic. So I, it's like a really good vacation that I'm making out of it. That's awesome. Are you just going by yourself or are you driving with anybody else? No, just by myself, just enjoying the sights and, you know, it's a, it's a good period right now in Magic to take a break. There's no tournaments going on, really. Sweet, sweet. Yeah, so you're locked for Platinum. You're just ready to compete at Worlds. Yep, so just taking a breather before that. That's awesome. Well, you know what? The listening audience is going to want to hear all about that and your journey. But like all things, I want to start off at the beginning. Donald, where did you grow up and how did you find Magic? So I grew up in a very small town called Cut Off, Louisiana. Huh. Uh, two separate words. Um, but I started Magic much later in 2014 when I moved to Lafayette, a decent sized city in Louisiana. At college, I basically got there, didn't have any friends, saw some uh, guys 
play magic in a community room in the dorms. I noticed one was my roommate, so I joined in and just got hooked ever since. That's amazing. Now, I don't know if I heard you right, but you said you started in 2014? Yeah, right when Theros came out is when I started. It was coincident. I, I didn't even know that uh, a new expansion was coming out. I didn't know anything about the game. But uh, yeah, you know, like a few days, Theros was going to come out. My friends got really excited. I mean, I was just learning the game, so I didn't realize the timeline of anything. Dude, that is insane. I mean, just to put it into perspective, right now is 2017. So in three short years, you went from zero to hero. Yeah. Dude, uh, that's actually, crazy. My bad. Uh, it was uh, 2013 I started. Oh, 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 another year. Gosh, <laughs> I've been playing Magic for 15 years and uh, <laughs> I am nowhere near Platinum Pro. That's amazing, dude. Well, hey, what kind of actionable advice could you give to listeners that want to become Platinum? The advice really is that there's no shortcuts, right? No one would enjoy the competitive side of the game and there wouldn't really be professionals if anyone could do it. So it, it really just took like a lot of time and commitment. And uh, actually, a lot of people say that, but I think a big part is sacrifice too. So if you really want to be, you know, a pro at the game, you have to sacrifice something. In college, actually, you know, it wasn't great, but, you know, some of my grades took a hit. (laughs) It ended up that being that I didn't really like the major I was in. I was in engineering. I ended up switching to math. And magic was kind of my escape that, you know, I had to take a sacrifice in that department. And, you know, I didn't really get involved or anything. And not that I regret it, but it's just a fact of life that you can't be a pro at this game and, you know, also have, you know, a multifaceted life outside of it, too. It kind of has to become part of you. Wow. That's really fascinating what you're saying about sacrifice. That's one thing that I know a lot of really successful people always talk about. It's like, you know, opportunity cost. If you're going to do your first choice, you have to be willing to give up your second choice. And I'm sure you've made a lot of uh, sacrifices along the way because you said, hey, you know, playing Magic full-time, grinding to become a Platinum Pro. And right now, being a platinum pro. I mean, there are things in life that, you know, you're not doing or you're kind of putting aside. Um, You know, I'm curious, Donald, to ask, you know, do you remember the first tournament that you played in? Yeah, uh, it was actually a PTQ in December. So, I started in October and there was a local PTQ in December. And this was crazy because, you know, I live in Louisiana and not only Louisiana, I live South Louisiana where I'm an hour away from the Gulf of Mexico. So for whatever reason, that year, there was actually like snow in the city. Yeah, I remember that. It wasn't a lot, but you add a little ice to the road in Louisiana and everything shuts down. No one knows how to drive in it. So it was this crazy PTQ with like, we had 120 players at it in the small shop in Lafayette. And it was crazy because a lot of people couldn't get in the city. You know, it would have probably been like a 250 person PTQ if there wasn't the snow. So it was my first tournament. I mean, I had like, it wasn't a tier one deck. I was playing green, white aggro at the time. It, it was an okay deck. It was competitive. You know, I never played any tournament. I was just, you know, drawing my hands, keeping my hands, playing spells, beating people down and ended up missing a winning into top eight. Actually didn't even realize that till a few days later. And I got 12th and I guess that's what put the fire in me. Wow. That's amazing. I, I cannot even imagine you starting in October going into a PTQ in December, sitting down playing your first tournament, just playing spells, emptying your hand, beating face, and then losing a winning in and not even knowing at the moment, like several days later, you're like, wait, I lost my winning in for top eight. That's insane. Yeah, that was a that was a super crazy tournament. Um, it, it was crazy too, because Tom Ross was there. He was living in Baton Rouge at the time. And 
you know, everyone was talking about him in their own corners in their own friend group. And I was just, you know, hanging out, bouncing around between friends and they're like, Oh my God, Tom Ross is here. Like, Oh, what does he play? Yada, yada. I was like, who's that? <laughs> he ended up losing in the semifinals to a really good friend of mine, actually. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. Well, it sounds like that you really hung out with like the right crowd. They really like helped you get better as a magic player. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Uh, the first, uh, not tournament, but draft, uh, I went to basically, I just started talking to one guy and, he just, he's one of my best friends now, and he just taught me how to play the game inside and out, and the whole community was really supportive. They love having new players, and they love teaching them about the game, and, um, you know, they're teaching you, especially in limited, things about mana curve, creature count, you know, combat tricks, and all of this stuff, and uh, it really just, like, got me right into the competitive scene. That is so cool. Okay, so earlier on when you started off, was there a particular kind of archetype, or you were really open to playing any kind of deck? I stuck to aggro because it was the more available cards. It was easier to understand. So I started with aggro. Eventually, when I, you know, got like started going to more tournaments, I started branching out. But hilariously enough, my uh, last four pro tours was when I started like really getting my magic career going. I actually kind of stuck to aggro at each. So I started at aggro, experimented, but I'd say I'm pretty solidly an aggro player right now. So after that first PTQ, you missed your winning and you came in 12th and you were like, wow, this is pretty sweet. Uh, maybe I could go a little further with this. What did you decide to do after that? So it worked out really well. So it was December of the PTQ and then maybe a month or two later, the new expansion came out and in Baton Rouge, there's always these huge tournaments called uh, win a playset and basically if you got first place you got a playset of the new set and if you got like second place you got a set you know a bunch of boxes huge prizes everyone was going to that so i traveled with them that was like my second wind i suppose and i actually made it to the semifinals. But the big uh, thing I remember from that was I was in the quarterfinals against Tom Ross, you know, against the pro that everyone's talking about. And I beat him pretty handily uh, in two games. And at first, you know, and then I lose the semifinals, but whatever. Everyone was cheering on that I beat Tom Ross. And it was a really big moment in my career. Wow. It was funny because I, I thought I was really good and like I was on top of my game. Not that I was cocky about it, but like I was just feeling really great about myself. But a year later, it was streamed. And I went go watch the replay just to, you know, throw back to memory lane. And <laughs> it was a, uh, it, it was pretty funny because it actually wasn't like a, an amazing game. It was, I'm playing this aggro deck. I stay on four lands for like 12 turns, just keep drawing gas and he's flooding out and all this. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I definitely didn't realize it at the time, but I got pretty lucky against them. <laughs> at the time you were like, dude, I'm such a sick player. And then you go back and watch the replay. You're like, oh, he just got flooded. <laughs> and I got yeah. gas. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Uh, do you still keep up with Tom Ross? Um, not too much, uh, but we are good friends. Uh, after our top eight, he followed me on Twitter and uh, I really appreciated that. And you know, we're very friendly. Uh, I actually stayed by his house over at a SEG tournament, like the last invitational. So, you know, I don't talk to him every day, but we're pretty good friends, I'd say. Okay, yeah. So you're just like grinding in these tournaments, trying to get your shot. When was the first time you got onto the Pro Tour? A year later, about, um, I went to my first Grand Prix and I went to the, the second Vegas Grand Prix. And this isn't, I didn't get to the Pro Tour, but it was my first Grand Prix. It was a big deal because I had to fly there. And, you know, between hotel and flights and all that, it was like $500. And 
I'm in college. So like that was my year, you know, like uh, I saved up for this moment and it was my first Grand Prix ever. And I actually missed my winning into top eight and it was crazy. It was modern masters and that was just a whole insane tournament. I could spend an hour talking about all the insane games, like beating a corn and Bane firing someone for 16. Wow. And all this crazy stuff. But I ended up losing a winning into a foil bitter blossom. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> but I actually re-looked at the replay. I actually made a crucial mistake and I could have won. But I uh, didn't mind losing that winning in because it ignited the fire. If I would have won that, I would have got to the Pro Tour, but it would have been the last PT of the season. So instead, you know, I really wanted to have a second chance. So I go to Charlotte two weeks later. And it's modern. I never really played modern before, but uh, I just started grinding uh, burn a lot. And that, I top eight in my second Grand Prix ever. And that brought me to PT Battle for Zendikar in Milwaukee. And this was really important because as it's the first pro tour in the season, it really let me uh, build up points to get silver, which ended up being very important in my last season. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Dude, this is so blowing my mind. So, a lot of the pros that I talk to, they've all played Magic for, you know, 20, 15 years or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I started in 2013, you know, Theros, uh, you know, October, played in a thing, December, missed the winning in, you know, play, went to a GP, like, you know, drafted, like, oh, and I've never played Modern before. I just played a bunch of Burn and Aggro. And, and it's like, dude, this is insane. <laughs> like, and, and like the way that you're like, uh, you know, you're recounting this like journey you've had, like you've been really intentional about like, okay, I'm not, I'm obviously not going to learn everything in the format. I'm, you're just going to use that 80-20 rule, like Pareto's law. Like what is the minimum thing that I can do to create the maximum effort? And I can I, can I like min-max this thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, like even now, you know, I know I'm not the best at anything or, you know, I, I, I can like for worlds. I, I'm easily bottom three of the competition, but <laughs> I know I know what works for me, and you know I'm just really honing those specific skills. And I'm not trying to step out my bounds just yet. You know, every every tournament I'm trying to learn something new and expand my range. But uh, I make sure when it's tournament day, I'm staying within my range, and it's working out obviously. So. Wow, that is so cool. All right, so you know you get to Pro Tour Battle for Zendikar, and then you're know you're you're really like planning your points and you're really planning your season so you, you get silver and then for that previous season it really helps you out in the next season how did it help i got silver and then this was important for a few reasons first off it gave me a pro tour invite that's a big one right but because of the visa issues at pro tour sydney the silvers all got two pro tour invites uh to this last season and it didn't end up mattering but it would have worked out like this so if i would have just had one invite you know i'm in college this is the point where i actually kind of decided to switch majors engineering wasn't working out i was failing too many classes so i'm like all right i'm gonna switch majors have a fresh start and really buckle down and there's a pro tour in nashville in the spring so i'm gonna go to that not have to spend too much money flying or anything and you know, we'll see where it goes from there. Well, now I got two invites and I don't really want to squander those. So there's Hawaii, Dublin, Nashville, and Kyoto. Well, Hawaii is like the next cheapest one. And I kind of talked to some people and I actually ended up getting sponsored by a friend and uh, the card shop in Lafayette to 
to bring me to Hawaii. Sweet. And so, you know, originally I wasn't planning on going, but now, you know, I'm, I'm getting this flight. So I'm going to Hawaii. Just like Battle for Zendikar, I went 11 and 5, which gives you 10 pro points, cues you for another pro tour, and puts you on a really good track to get silver for the year. Wow, that is so cool. All right. Donald, I wanted to ask you, you're sitting there at the Pro Tour, you're looking around, right? There's a ton of experience in the room. How do you center yourself for competition? Huh, that's a hard question. So it just comes with, you know, practice and preparation. Like I go in the tournament, I, I played countless games, countless drafts, and it's as simple as like, I don't care who they are or what they are. Honestly, I'm so new that like, I don't even know a lot of them to be to be real. At Pro Tour, either Revolt, the one I top aided, I actually asked a uh, um, <laughs> Japanese player how he qualified and he said <laughs> Hall of Fame. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty embarrassing <laughs> so but obviously for the vast majority i just really don't get phased because i'm ignorant I, I know a lot more pros now but but it's just you know so much practice goes into it that i draw my hand and it just reminds me of some similar moto experience during practice and it's just very familiar to me and it doesn't really matter who's across it's the cards all look the same whether you're on magic online you're playtesting with your friend or you're at the pro tour that is so funny funny that you asked a Japanese Hall of Famer how they qualified at the Pro Tour. That's too funny, dude. That that yeah. takes a lot of gumption, I think. Okay, so you're really focused on like channeling your practice when you are in competition. Are there any other like shortcuts, either mentally or physically, that you think about that really helps you like up your game as you're like playing at such a high level? I think a big part of it is just like the intuition that you gain from practice. So a lot of things just become second nature. Uh, you know, the first few turns, especially in an aggro deck, which are important when, when you play you know, countless games, it doesn't really matter the situation. You know that you always want to play X spell over Y spell on whatever turn it is. Uh, a lot of the things I do to not really get phased is like, I actually strike a, a conversation with my opponent before the game during sideboarding and all that, you know, I like asking where they're from, you know, how did they qualify? All different sorts of questions because it makes me more relaxed and more comfortable and it, it makes it more like I'm I'm just hanging out with a friend or just chatting with someone on Magic Online as opposed to this high stake Pro Tour match. So you really like connecting with people, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, it doesn't always work. You know, some people are just straight up tell me it's like, we'll talk after the match. But um, I just like making it a more casual atmosphere. Especially because you're like relatively a newcomer to the, like the pro scene. It seems like you really do enjoy connecting with people. Yeah, I also like to think that maybe it makes them underestimate me, especially like before I got the top eight. You know, I'd imagine my demeanor always made people think that I was a first timer or something, even though like <laughs> it would have been my fourth or fifth pro tour. It just helps me out. I don't know exactly how it would affect my opponent, but it's all in good fun and it gets me in the zone. One thing that I'm really curious about, Donald, is what kind of intention have you put into your practice that sets you apart from so many other players playing Magic and they are not necessarily able to qualify for a Pro Tour? That's hard because I actually like learn something new every every tournament of how to prepare more efficiently. It used to be just grinding a bunch of games on Moto, but now I've developed where I'm actually playing against myself on Cockatrice. And it's about time, really. So the, the big thing about tournaments is, you know, everyone has the same cards and the same spoiler and all that. So it's but everyone is limited on time, you know, especially for Pro Tours. You have three weeks to analyze over 200 cards and build decks and learn the format. 
So, um, like a few time saving methods is, you know, never really mulligan down to five in play testing. That just wastes time. Play against yourself on cockatrice, take a lot of shortcuts. Like a big one was with evolving wilds. Like you don't have to go search your land or with a tune with either. You don't have to go search the land. Just put it in play and tap it for mana. The deck thinning is too marginal to really affect anything. And just small things like that where Every game, you're really learning substantial amount of information. So, like, I'm at the point where I could play, I feel, six games of a matchup, two pre-boarded and four post-boarded, and actually have a pretty solid idea of who's favored and which cards matter. And it's only six games, so, like, I feel I could pretty much break down a matchup in two hours. You know, not all the nuances of it, but, you know, have a general idea, and I use all that broad information to, like, narrow down deck selection. And then when you finally have the deck, like, I do a week before the tournament that's when you just start grinding day in day out and learning every small interaction wow that is really amazing okay so you're able to break down like a generalized feel of a particular deck with other matchups in just six games playing against yourself yeah and I say six games. These are like six actual games, you know, like if it's turn three and I drew, you know, three lands and I already kept the three lander. So I have three spells, six lands. I'll just, you know, scoop that game up, not count it and go on to the next one. And so, yeah, you know, it takes a bit more shuffles than six games exactly. But, you know, you, you don't you're not counting the ones that you keep a one lander and you get screwed. You know, you're not counting the ones where you drew 10 lands. So, you know, six actual back and forth games playing against myself too is like is how I could get a, a good feel for it and again it, it's not I don't know all the nuances like I've always tested team or energy but like I cannot play the deck well because I, I never decided it was good enough to bring to a tournament obviously it's a good deck but it, it doesn't fit my play style exactly so you know being super time efficient and uh, identifying like the things that matter in the long run and not your like, 1% edges in playtesting. Wow that's really fascinating it seems like you're really getting to like the bulk of really how magic is being played in a particular format. Yeah, it, it works really well for standard. It's actually very bad at modern, so I do not recommend doing this for modern or legacy. Uh, actually, in modern, I haven't had a winning record since my first GP top eight, which was, I feel like, almost three years ago by now. So it it's definitely only applies to standard. <laughs> So playing as a pro on the pro tour, you have to focus on standard, obviously, and you also have to focus on limited. What is your preparation for limited? You know, I'm still trying to make small tweaks, but uh, just historically throughout every pro tour, I've always had very good records. I never went 0-3 in a draft, and I've always went 4-2 or better in all pro tour drafts. I never went 3-3 even. So I, I stuck with what I've been doing since my very first pro tour. And I'm very lucky that Lafayette is actually primarily a limited town. We do drafts weekly. Like we have more drafters than standard players at a lot of points. So what I do is I get me and I'd say like five, six of my best friends and we create a Facebook group and we basically do like an informal set review of all the commons and uncommons. We grade them A to F and, you know, write up a little bit. That's right when the spoiler starts. We try to get that done in like a day. It's really useful for the friends I'm with too because they have jobs and stuff and 
they could kind of just rate the cards on their phone while they're, you know, going throughout their day. And then it got a lot better with uh, Moto being released right after pre-release. But before, it was actually pretty crazy. I would go to the school's printer and I would generate packs and like print them out and, you know, spend like a, a few hours like cutting them that they fit in sleeves and stuff. And uh, that was a pretty crazy process for about a year. It's just, you know, printing out, you know, I don't know how many packs, but maybe five drafts worth of uh, packs. So that's, wow. you know, eight drafters, three packs each, just at the paper cutter, just going going to town. And, uh, you know, I'd be cutting the paper and doing the set review at the same time. But now with uh, the set being released so soon after the pre-release on Moto, basically I do the set review and then we just start drafting. And, you know, we'll get together at a friend's house, uh, you know, make it like a little evening, a nice little party. And we'll just do drafts and everyone's watching one drafter. It works out really well because especially right after the pre-release, that that's what a lot of the pros do too. So it's very likely that you'll have like, aside from yourself, an average to like one to two pros in your pod. And then there's countless of magic online grinders that are very good at limited. So I think Moto is just the best way to practice in this day of age. The way to like go beyond that is just have some friends and, you know, do a group draft and it really gets some ideas flowing. And it's just have been very effective for me. You know, I haven't had to iterate that preparation too much. It sounds like a lot of time management, Donald, like you're using your time in the best way possible right when the set is spoiled, right when the set is released, especially like offline and online, you know, you can get a lot more reps in online. You know, there's definitely like a financial impact about trying to get all the sealed product. Do you have any tips for people or is it just basically try to get a team, you know, get a group of people to do this? When you're on the Pro Tour, it's actually, you know, it, it's just a matter of being social and, you know, don't be a jerk, basically. And the moment I got onto the Pro Tour, all the stores were helping me out. They were, you know, this guy wanted to crack a case to sell singles, but he's like, oh, I know you're on the Pro Tour, so draft the case first and give me all the cards. And just a lot of local players are lending me cards. And it, when you're on the Pro Tour, it's such a special moment for a local community that it's really easy to get the help as long as you have just some decent networking done beforehand. So now that you are a Platinum Pro and you are now invited to Worlds 2017, what was that like kind of wrapping your head around that reality? So it was actually a pretty, it was a sweat. So, it, you know, it all was decided at uh, Pro Tour Kyoto. You know, let, let's go back to Pro Tour Aether Vault. So I, I top eight it and I got gold. Now that got me to 36 points, but I still need 52 for Platinum. And, you know, it's Platinum first, then we think about Worlds. So I have two Pro Tours and basically all the Grand Prix, you know, to go to. And it's actually, you know, I top eight at a Pro Tour, but it, it was pretty hard to get to the Platinum because I don't know why, but for whatever reason, I cannot do well at a Grand Prix to save my life. <laughs> you know, pros are talking about they get 20, 18 Pro Points from, a, uh, from their Grand Prix a season. And my Grand Prix points were at like five. But we have a lot of Grand Prix to go to, so we could do this, right? And it just, <laughs> my Grand Prix continue to be awful. So basically, I end up going 11 and 4 at four Grand Prix, and everything else was an X5. And, you know, I got two X5s, and the slots were filled, so X5 drops, basically. And, you know, I really started thinking and like, I realized that I actually haven't did better than 11 and 4 since the Grand Prix Top 8 three years ago. So 
I God, the Grand Prix are just so bad. I don't know why. I'm still trying to think of it. Actually, at DC, I finally got my like 12 and three. I missed two win and ends to top H, which sucked. But at least I got better than an 11 and four for the first time in three years. So, you know, I'm doing bad at these Grand Prix, but we got Nashville. Nashville goes horribly. I, I drop at eight losses pretty early in day two. So that doesn't really count. So, you know, everything going up to Worlds and even my Platinum status hedged on the last tournament, Pro Tour Kyoto. It was stressful, not going to lie. Normally, I'm pretty good about the stress thing. But, you know, I was just working, you know, I went through the semester. And after I top eight of the Pro Tour, I started traveling so much that my grades suffered. You know, I had to make a sacrifice in that department. And then it, it was just all hinging on, you know, this one last Pro Tour and, you know, thinking if I if I don't make it here, like I set myself back a semester in college and it was some crazy emotions going through. Um, but then the, the Pro Tour comes along and I go, you know, I'm ready. We got the mono red deck, you know, we feel decent about the limited format. All right, let's go. Let's do this, baby. Everything's on the line. 3-0 the draft. All right. I, I just say, like, this is my pro tour. Like, I can't lose anymore because I, I actually felt better about standard than draft. And then, you know, I just start crushing the field. I take a loss here, but whatever. I end I end the pro tour at 7-1. and one. Now, to get platinum, I need to go 10-6. and six, And to get to worlds, I need to go 11-5. and five. Wow. For platinum, I need to go 3-5 and five on day two. And for worlds, I need to go 4-4. Four and four. Start the draft, 0-2. I got a win. Okay, so I'm one two. I'm still in it. Let's do this. Start standard O oh, two. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was going through some emotions. So I dropped down to X and five with two rounds left. I, I caught a win in standard right after. I basically have to win the next two for worlds, and I have to win one of the next two for platinum. And the pressure was on. And I luckily, I, you know, I win the next one. And I was crying, you know, straight up. Uh, I signed the slip and I was just at my table crying. Everyone was congratulating me. And then it was the next one, you know, and I was like, okay, now, now we got worlds on the line. But I got very fortunate. I was paired against Nathan Smith, who um, he's a pretty good friend of mine. And he was gold. He wasn't anywhere close to platinum. He already had his 35 points. And so, you know, he didn't need the win for anything. There's a little bit of money on the line, but... You know, he, he realized that if I win, I go to Worlds. So he ended up giving me the win, eternally grateful for that. And yeah, I mean, it was a sweat going from seven and one to basically nine and five. And I ended up, I got there though. So we're going to Worlds, baby. <laughs> wow, that is incredible. I can't, I cannot believe that. What a journey. That's incredible. Donald, did you ever think back in October of 2013, sitting there at some like Theros pre-release that you would be going to Worlds in 2017? Oh, no way. Not a chance. Like, you know, I, I was just a video gamer back then. I, I never... And a lot of people, when I say I started in Theros, they always like, oh, so like that's your first PTQ or something. Oh, like that's when you started grinding. I'm like, no, that's the first time I picked up a magic card. And, uh, and just before, you know, I was just a video gamer. I, I'd play a lot of League of Legends. I played Dota mostly and, well, you know, whatever my friends were playing. But yeah, I get to college and 
it's a city, you know, I'm from a rural town, but now I'm in a city. So I want to just not be on my computer all day. So it, I just use it as a chance to, you know, get out, put myself out in the world. And yeah, I just got hooked on this game and I, I loved it because of the social aspect. It, you know, I go play a, some League of Legends for the night on Friday and I go to sleep and nothing really happened. But like I go to FNM and I'm making friendships and I'm talking to people and we're going to a diner at midnight and we're just having tons of fun. But yeah, no, way i did not think i was <laughs> i would, was even anything i didn't think i was good uh, i mean it was just a game to me at first but i think that's that's what helped me a lot like a lot of people are stressing over the ptqs and i was just having a blast wow what a great attitude about the journey as well like that just that's so amazing dude all right well standing right now and looking forward towards worlds in boston what do you hope to achieve in worlds i mean I'd want to win, obviously, uh, but I just, I, I don't know. I, it's not about the result. It's about like the games you play and the impression you make on people. So I want to go into Worlds and I want to come out no matter the result. And I want the other pros that played at Worlds to change their opinion. Not that they have a negative one, but I want to go from being the underdog, you know, bottom three, which is not like a bad thing. It's the 24 best players. Like, uh, okay, it's fine to be an underdog, but I just want to go from that solid underdog to, I just want to raise some eyebrows. You know, I, I want people to be like, whoa, that's Donald Smith. I hope I'm not in his draft pod or something like that. You know, ooh, you know, I wonder what deck Donald Smith's playing at this tournament. That's, that's all I want to leave after Worlds. You know, I just want to raise some eyebrows and really uh, get some respect. I love it. I love it. Donald, what would you like to say to yourself during Worlds? Like what message would you like to send to yourself forward in time? So considering the stress I was going through at Pro Tour Kyoto, I really hope I don't go under that closer to the tournament because I've always done my best when I'm just cool, calm, and collected. Like even looking at past results like Washington, D.C., uh, the Grand Prix, you know, I actually didn't have that much stake in the tournament. I was just going because the flight was cheap and it was Labor Day weekend. Just like some other good successes, I, I didn't even realize I was playing a winning in until my friend told me and even at either revolt i i was in ireland the flight was paid for this is the coolest country i've ever been to i'm just having a time hey how did you qualify oops didn't realize you're in the hall of fame my bad <laughs> and i just want to have that mentality again you know just be super chill and just have a great time talk to my opponents a lot and i think the w results will follow that i just even though Kyoto was a success, it, there was a lot to be improved on. I actually, I feel I could have even top eight of that tournament if I wasn't so stressed out. So I just want to have a good time and play some good magic. That's really sweet. All right, everyone, we're going to take a quick break from Donald Smith. But first, a word from our sponsors. Hey, Donald, could you tell us about what Patreon supporters gifts you have for us? Yeah, so, you know, I'll be doing six rounds of Draft at Worlds, which is two drafts. And, um, you know, they stamp the cards especially for the tournament, so uh, no cheating. So what I'll do, I'll, I'll sign all the draft cards, rares and all, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter what. It could be the most expensive mythic. Who cares? 
I'll sign them all, I'll give them to you, and you can ship them out. And I'll toss in a few platinum tokens for y'all too. Wow, that is awesome. Okay, you heard that, everyone. Since Donald is going to Worlds, he's getting a whole bunch of crazy stamped cards. He's going to sign them and he's going to be giving them. So there's a lot of opportunities to get some really sweet stuff. Yeah, and the platinum tokens, you know, we can round it out to 100. I'll toss in 10 of those or something. Wow, that's awesome. Thank you so much, Donald. I really appreciate it. Uh, no problem. I love sharing the love. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by the generous support of listeners like you. In the last three seasons, the show has been downloaded over 100,000 times and has reached the far corners of the world. Thank you so much for listening to the show. As you know, I give out gifts, little mementos from my interviews to my Patreon supporters. If you'd like to receive signed cards and other cool things, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thank you so much. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM. Okay, everyone, and we're back. Donald, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. I love them. Okay, sounds good. Donald, rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? So, I think my favorite color is white, although red is a close second. Uh, I just uh, love how white pairs with everything with an aggressive slant, usually. So, like... You know, you have your red, white, burn, and aggro decks. You have your black, white, aggro decks, green, white, aggro decks, blue, white, tempo decks. And it, it just, every color I've played historically has always just had white in it. Like every deck, you know, I played tons of Jeskai, black, white zombies, Mardu, red, white, burn, green, white, aggro, all types of white decks. And I, I just love it. Although I don't like mono white. I don't like mono white uh, humans or anything. 
Huh, that's really interesting. You're kind of like the opposite of Craig Wesco. Exactly. Okay, Donald, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? So hopefully Magic Arena actually like helps this, but you know, I just want more ways for new players to get into it. I got in, in college, you know, it wasn't the easiest, you know, I had to... um you know, make some sacrifices financially just to buy some packs and stuff. But hopefully like a uh, magic arena will just make it more accessible with like a, a free to play angle to it that people could get into the game. They enjoy it. Then they could go to the next level and make the commitment to go to the LGS and buy physical cards. Cause it is a lot to ask a person to do that financial commitment right when they start. But I have high hopes because, you know, I've heard that the duels of the planeswalker actually helped a lot of new players get in and Magic Arena will cater to that crowd also. You know what's so interesting is like up until this point, I've interviewed so many people. When I get to certain questions, I ask them, you know, what would you change about Magic? Everyone's all like, oh my gosh, digital this, digital that. And just not too long ago, Magic the Gathering Arena was released or like at least released and like unveiled. And like your answer is taking a complete 180 to the majority of my guests, which is like, you are now hopeful. Yeah, exactly. Um, it depends what they do with the game. And I've heard some complaints, but it's an alpha, like everything could change. And like some people didn't like the sounds. I'm like, is that really an issue? You could just mute the game. So <laughs> like matchmaking is such a big deal too. And I think it'll really just make magic way more accessible and way more mainstream. That's crazy. I love it. I really love that sentiment. And again, like I said, I think it's just so interesting. And I'm pretty sure the listening audience also notices this as well. But like, just like the answer from my guest has completely taken a 180. So that's so cool. <laughs> okay, Donald, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? I think uh, like a vast majority of Magic players, you know, they want to go to a Grand Prix, but they can't for whatever reason. So I kind of just want to give them, you know, like a small travel voucher and some time off that they could really go to their first like Grand Prix at a cool location and, and make the most of it and take that next step into competitive magic. That's so sweet. Yeah, that's such a great sentiment, dude, because like, especially because like you've really loved traveling and seeing the world, playing the game, networking and meeting people like that's a great experience to be able to give to people. That's awesome. Donald, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? If Arena takes off, I, I see a very bright future. Um, you know, if Arena is what it, it should be, it, you know, I think more streamers are going to be into it, more tournaments, like even just like uh, small, like weekly tournaments with like a $10 prize or something like that would be super cool. Basically, I just continue seeing it growing. And if the, the whole digital aspect of it takes off, like, I mean, the game is second to none. Let's be real. Like some of the stuff, Magic Online and all, it's outdated. So it's actually insane that it has and is still going strong. And a lot of other online only games actually can't say that, you know, like what other game has been going on for 20 years or so. It's just not a thing. Uh, it just only has room to grow. And I don't see Magic going anywhere anytime soon. Okay, and Donald, last, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience, like where they can find you on social media? Yeah, uh, if you want to follow me, it's at Donald WSJR. I love Twitter. I, I'm always like messing around on it. Uh, I don't take it too seriously, but I love interacting with my audience through Twitter because other people can see the reply and it helps us 
much people as possible. So yeah, you know, if you want to follow me on Twitter and feel free to shoot me some messages about just anything magic related, it doesn't even have to be magic related. I, I recently actually asked my followers to like make me a playlist basically for my road trip. And it's actually been working out really well. You know, I'm loving all the stuff they're sending me. <laughs> That's awesome, dude. Thank you so much, Donald, for sharing your journey with us on Kitchen Table Magic. Best of luck at Worlds. I really appreciate everything that you said and everything that you're doing because you're really like a core part of this community. You have a great attitude about things and you also want to meet people and you want to grow the player base. And that's just really awesome. Yeah, I love doing content like this. I love doing podcasts. I'm always, I'm, I reached out to you. I'm always reaching out to podcasts. I'm like, bring me on. I, I got something to say. I just want to, you know, spread my energy. And, you know, I'm an underdog story. So it, it gives hope to newer players that, you know, you can rise up and compete with the pros. I'm going to have all of the links to Donald's social media in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Donald, anything you want to lead us out on? Enjoy magic and keep having fun. Never forget that it's about fun. You know, I forgot that in Kyoto and I honestly feel that I blew a second top eight. So, you know, stay to the roots. Remember, it's a game. Just have fun playing it. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Donald Smith Jr. Go say hi to him on Twitter at DonaldWSJR. I also found a news article on Donald that I'll include in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Donald is now working at Wizards R&D, so you won't see him competing at GPs or the Pro Tour anymore. Best of luck to Donald, and I hope you help us bring back some decent counterspells in Magic. Thanks everyone for listening to this week's show. I want to take a moment to thank all of my Patreon supporters. Brian, Marcus, James L, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M, Neil, James G, Aaron C, Jonathan, Corey, Chad, Logan, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Priscovi, Ryan, and Carl. Listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts from my interviews, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeps it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. If you haven't heard already, I've created a new YouTube channel called Play MTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash Play MTG. Special thanks to Dev for the shout-out on his YouTube channel that helped me get a bunch of new subscribers. I really appreciate your support, Dev. Follow the channel on Twitter at play underscore MTG. It's also on Facebook at facebook.com slash play MTG, all one word. I'm looking forward to creating new content and I've got some collaborations and new videos in the works. Be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast. The show is on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at KitchenTableMagic.org. If you're new to the show, there's plenty of past episodes to listen to, and please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic... 
honestly, I'm jealous of, of anyone who got to play uh, Jund with Deathrite or Bloodbraid Elf because I, I was never one of those people, to be honest. I kind of started into Magic a little bit too late to catch that wave of modern. I mean, I think what sort of happened was they were really good stuff decks. You're taking the most powerful cards and you're kind of abusing them. Like, it, it almost doesn't matter what your opponent's trying to do because what you're doing is just so powerful. That's what Bloodbraid Elf and, and Deathrite Shaman did to John. whereas you, you could do things like play Liliana on turn two or Bloodbraid into Liliana. And sometimes when you're able to do that, no matter how bad the matchup is, you're going to get a type of advantage that just doesn't exist elsewhere. Whereas after those cards were banned, I think Jun became a more, a little bit more nuanced of a deck. You were really just trying to grind and, and poke holes. Uh, your thought seizes got a little bit more complicated because there was these decks. Now that you didn't have the power level of, of, of a card like Bloodbraid Elf, you had to be able to go under some decks. And then other decks you could beat down just like a normal sort of mid-range deck. I think what happened in that sort of, as Jund was like morphing, I think what happened was you really had to change the way that you would sideboard and, and you would approach these matchups. You weren't able to beat decks with just uh, raw power anymore. I'm talking to writer and expert on Jund, Keith Capstick. Keith writes for face-to-face -face games in Toronto and Mana Deprived. I've been a fan of Jund ever since I got into Modern, and it's a shame to see Jund no longer among the Tier 1 decks. Especially with a modern Pro Tour Rivals of Ixalan coming up, it'll be interesting to see if any new tech pops up. Join me and Keith Capstick as we reminisce about the good old days of modern Jund, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.